Pinesit here, and we are continuing our discussion, live action, talking about racism and discrimination and systemic racism in higher education and in the pathway to becoming a doctor. And today we're getting to the level we've done junior high, high school, and we're advancing to college now, and we're talking about a counselor telling a student to get their black selves back over to the side of campus they're equipped to handle, not the science side, and they can never be a doctor. So today we're talking about that, guys. Get ready. We're going to talk about this racism, this discrimination. If you guys are ready for it, give me a like right now. Let me know you're ready to hear it. We are live action. Let's go. But stop making excuses. Stop whining. Stop. Right? Get at it. No excuses. Just dominate. All right, guys, so we are back again. This is our third day in a row. I hope you guys are enjoying this. Utha, Merrill, what is up? Uh, we're talking about racism. And remember, guys, this is a discussion, so I'm going to open this up and give you guys time to comment in the box. I feel like we, I don't get the chance to get everybody's comments, but I'm going to share my college story and one of the many I have of racism in college. Uh, but I want you guys, if you guys are a student of color, if you are going through the pre-med pathway. If you are not even a pre-med, right? We've got some of you guys on here. What's up, Kipton? Kipton, it's been forever, man. How's it going? Uh, what experiences have you guys had as you guys go through your journey, right? Brent, what experiences have you had with discrimination and racism through your journey, right? And as you go to try to become a doctor, what has been kind of the things you guys have experienced? Let's talk about it, right? Solidarity, because we are one, we are sharing stories. You're absolutely right, Meryl. All right. So, We'll start with my story. And if you guys have not heard this story, it is literally simultaneously one of the worst days of my life and one of the best days of my life because it hurt tremendously. It led to a lot of tears, uh, a lot of upset feelings, a lot of hurt. But at the same time, it was that hurt, that sadness that propelled me to be the Stanford-trained physician I am today, the anesthesiologist I am today, so I'm forever grateful for that day. And the way this plays out, guys, is that, as you guys know, I'm a first-generation college student. None of my parents graduated college. I'm so fortunate. I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful. My mom went back and just graduated college actually a couple months ago. Right? Very exciting. But at the time, I went to college. None of my parents had graduated from college. Yesenia, what is up? Uh, Erica, hello. None of my parents have gone to college. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I got there, and I was still in this early part of my career. And while I'm very confident now... Early in my career, I didn't necessarily have all that confidence. For some of the things we've talked about in this in this uh, series already, is that I wasn't the fully confident student. In fact, when I got to UC Irvine, zot, zot, zot for my anteater, still love UC Irvine. I looked around, and this is back in the day. UC Irvine was 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 it was a burgeoning diverse place for UCs, but it was not all that diverse. And the school was some ridiculous percentage of Asian, and then. It was like uh, another ridiculous percentage of white. And then there was like a few black people sprinkled in. And so when I went there and I looked around, particularly in my pre-med courses, I was the only person who looked like me. And for students of color, that in of itself, no one does anything. Right. And I often ask people, they're like, well, what is it like? Like when people talk about like being a black person, what is it like? And and my one of my good friends, Mordecai. He characterized it best because right when I said yesterday, we went to a high school, 2,400 students, three black guys. One of the black guys, his yearbook quote 
was sometimes I feel like a chocolate chip in a giant sea of milk. And forever I've held on to that quote. And every time I see it, I'm like a chocolate chip in a giant sea of milk. Because it's, it's like the perfect embodiment. For people can't understand what it's like to be black in America or black in higher education. It's like being a chocolate chip in a giant sea of milk. It's very discombobulating. And I often put forth to people who are not black, when they ask, what is it like being black in higher education? What is it like being a black doctor? I said, imagine, right? They're like, I, don't, I can't understand why it's uncomfortable. Like, why is it so uncomfortable? Like, we accept you for who you are, all kinds of stuff. And I said, imagine, I'm the only black person in this room. Let's call it, there's 10, call it there's 100 white people in the room. What if the ratio was reversed? So what if I took you and dropped you off somewhere where you were the only white person surrounded by 100 black people? Even if they were welcoming to you, would you, would you really ever feel like, oh, we're the same? We're simpatico? Would you, how would, like, would it be uncomfortable to you? Patrice with the, with the emojis, I love it. <laughs> Shylan, what is up? Uh, Alex, all the way back from UCLA Prep 2017 when I came to talk at UCLA. Wow, what is up? Right? How would it make you feel to be in that room? Right? That's the equivalent. No matter how welcoming they are, you recognize that you are different. And you maybe see things that necessarily, and this is what happens, right? And this is honest, right? Because we're all humans. We all have feelings. This happens in relationships a lot. Everybody know this? In relationships. Someone can say one thing or they can not say something and the other person in the relationship looks at them and thinks they're saying something and feels like they're saying something and feels some way about what just happened, even though nothing really happened. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? Right? I said that unspoken feeling, how things be misinterpreted. And what's unfortunate is that, how do I say this? Stereotyping? Stereotyping is real. Bias is real. Discrimination is real. Where it comes from is experience, either experienced experience or foretold experience. And this is the problem with racism, right? The way to end racism is to increase awareness, increase information, increase education, increase exposure to the thing that you are scared of. And what happens sometimes, and I've met many racists in my day, so many of them have never even met the type of person that they discriminate against. How many of you guys know people like that, right? They, they oh, I don't like black people, right? We had this at my college dorm, right? We had a guy, and I'm not even going to say his name on this, this public forum. I tell my students all the time about this guy. We became great friends. I, like, he, was, he, was, he was a staunch, we used to have great discussions in the dorms about politics and life and different things. And he was a, I mean, f like not hiding it at all. I am racist. I don't like black people. They're terrible, good for nothing tricksters, right? Like a Chappelle skit. It was that. Like this is when Chappelle was hot too. So it was kind of a funny mix because you literally have like the Clayton Bixby like skit. And then you have this guy who's spouting the same rhetoric. And what was so interesting was that, like, and that's why I love Chappelle, because he tells the truth. He's honest. He has an observation. He sees and he tells it. And the black, if you guys have never seen that black, the Clayton Bigsby, it's a great sketch. And the point that Chappelle's trying to make, it's literally, it's a black, white supremacist. But he's blind, so he doesn't know he's black. And so he, what he's trying to say is it's just ignorance that makes people racist. It's just, it's just a cultural thing. And so this guy was that exact equivalent, because one day I was like, listen, man, I'm like, you keep talking all this stuff. I said, what is the issue? Whatever happened to you? What did the black person ever do to you to draw such ire from you? And he's like, oh, well, actually, it was my buddy 
who had an altercation with some black guys, and he told me all about it, and, and ever since then, you know, blah, 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 I'm like, wait, 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 so you never actually had a problem with a black guy? No. I said, well, have you ever talked to a black person about this? No, I don't need to. And then we started having these long talks in the dorm and having it out. By the end of the year, we were really good friends. And he was like, man, I never knew. I never knew. I was going off a false assumption, being uninformed. And so <laughs> I say all that because sometimes in this world, guys, we are sensitive. We are, we feel things. We sense things. We think about things that aren't actually there, right? Like, oh, oh that was racist. And may not have been racist, but you've had so many experiences where someone meant it in a racist way. Like I was having this discussion literally yesterday with one of the administrators at UCSD. And this person works at the medical school. And if you guys remember, I was talking about this yesterday and we were talking about how you can bridge this gap. But this administrator who's not black was asking, well, listen, I have a question. If someone says to me, black lives matter, why is it wrong if I want to say black lives also matter? Or if I want to say all lives matter? And then I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And what he was trying to say is, is I'm not trying to tear away at black lives matter, but I just want to be aware that what we have to do is work for equality for all. And that we should use this moment where we saw the injustices perpetrated against a black person to say, listen, we can't allow this to happen to anyone. And we have to stand up for everyone who's being abused, who's being mistreated, who's being assaulted in whatever way. And I said, you know what? That's a perfectly valid thought process. But what you have to understand is that most people who are yelling back all lives matter or, right, or black lives matter too, but so do other lives, when people say black lives matter, are attempting to undercut black lives matter. And so the pattern of people trying to un un undercut and to be and to perpetuate that, no, nah, black lives matter is being overblown you're being lumped in with them based on past experiences. And so growing up as a person of color, you get so used to when people say certain things or people do certain things, you know, well, that's a sign, right? You know how to, you, you, you got like spider sense. You got a sixth sense for racism in the building. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Like that might've got lost in the point there. We're live action. But if you guys are still with me, you understand what I'm saying? Either comment right now or like the video. Let me know that the, what I was saying made sense there where I'm telling you guys. We are all the sum of our experiences. We are all the sum of our experiences. And some of us have had different experiences and bad experiences in certain situations that color the way we see certain things and the way we feel about certain things, right? And so for me, having the experience I had going to a high school that's predominantly white and having them feel comfortable enough to think that I'm not a real black person to say crazy racist stuff to me about other minorities, I internalized that and I said, you know what? When they're looking at me kind of funny, right? When, when, they, like, when they do certain things, when they say certain things, they're really being racist right now. They're really discriminating. They're really letting me know their true feelings about me, right? And I love how you guys text me. Casey's texting me during the stream. <laughs> Don't text me your stories during the stream. You got to comment your stories in the stream. You got to text me or email me in between streams, y'all. Right? But we have these experiences. And so I went into college thinking, man, these people are all judging me. They're all looking at me. They all think I don't deserve to be here. And I'm sure many of them were thinking the same thing I'm thinking, like, man, I just want to get through. I'm just trying to make it through college. But in my mind, I was like, oh, man, they don't like me. Right. And so I already didn't feel like I belonged. 
And so, <laughs> and so I felt like I didn't belong. I felt that imposter syndrome. I felt like, man, just, I'm gonna, I know it. Like one of the last things my dad said to me before I left for college was, don't get sent home and embarrass us. And so all I was thinking was, man, do not flunk out. Your dad, uh, my dad's a big guy. He's not going to be approving if I get sent home. He's going to be, it's going to be hell to pay if I get sent home from college because I can't deliver. So I was like, just stay focused, stay on track. And while I was trying to find my footing, right, while I was trying to find myself in, in college early on, honestly, I, 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 it was a new experience. And maybe it was because I felt like an imposter that I felt such need to be social and, and to go to things and be involved. But I was just trying to have a good time. You know? I was just trying to make friends and be about things and party and go to this club and do all these things. Like, I was just everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And I wasn't doing the job I should be doing, but I was getting by in my mind. And then I get to the end of my freshman year and they send an email saying, hey, listen, your pre-med advisor, your college counselor, we want to meet with you to help you meet, uh, reach your goals and see how we can help you. And I was like, oh, okay, amazing, amazing. So I set up this meeting. I go to this meeting and the partier in me, right? The, the wild young person I was, 18, I literally had an electric, electric blue. Not the, not, this was custom, y'all. I had to go to the surf shop and get this. It was electric blue. Heavy duty Razor scooter. Anybody remember Razors? I had a, an electric blue heavy duty to hold all this poundage Razor scooter. And I had my board shorts on, my flip flops, and a t shirt. Hopped on my Razor scooter and I Razor scootered down to the BioSci office at UC Irvine. If you guys are familiar with UC Irvine's uh, campus, it's a big circle loop. And where I was coming from in the dorms is all downhill. It was perfect. Zoom, right into the counselor's office. So I got down there, got down there early. I was ready. I was like, hey, we're talking about my future, how I'm about to be a doctor, I'm about to be amazing. I'm about to be the first in my family to be a doctor. I'm about to uplift my community. I'm about to help people show me what it's about. I'm so excited for this meeting. I get in there, sit down with the counselor, and she says, okay, nice to meet you. And she says, hold on a second while I read your file. And she had this huge stack of all these files on her desk that were just sitting there. And she goes, gets, finds mine, flips through it for like three minutes, sets it down, says, okay, great. Now I know who you are. Tell me what you want to do. And I said, oh, I want to be a doctor. Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> that means I'm pre-med. Did you know that? <laughs> right? And I'm like, talking about how I want to be a doctor. And she's like, a doctor? What kind of doctor? And I'm like, are you crazy? There's only one type of doctor. And this is, how, again, how I was thinking, young, first generation. There's only one type of doctor. Come on, MD, y'all. Like, I'm like, like a medical doctor. What do you mean? Like a doctor. I want to save lives. And she goes, hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, you can't be a doctor. It's like, who, me? What, me? It's like, what? What do you mean I can't be a doctor? Because seeing, what up? Yeah, we are back live action. It's like, what do you mean I can't be a doctor? What are you talking about? She's like, yeah, you can't be a doctor. I'm like, well, I don't understand. She's like, you have to be exceptional. You have to be exceptional to get into medical school. And you are an average student. And I hang on that line, guys, because it's literally, it's what drives my whole freaking life. When she told me this, y'all, imagine you have to be exceptional to get into medical school, but you are an average student. I, it was a long time. I used to stay up at night and think about that one phrase. And, I, and again, it took me a second, kind of stunned me. And I was like, wait, I'm an average student. Shoot, I thought, I thought I was doing all right. Like, wait, uh, you know, you know, like, you know how someone tells you something and it's completely out of left field, it's completely shocking. You're trying to find the words and like room it, like figure out where you're at. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I'm like, 
no, I think I'm doing okay. Like I like like I know you know it's not going the best, but I haven't failed any classes, and you know I'm gonna get better. And she's like, no, she's like, no, um, I don't I don't think you have what it takes to get into medical school. And to be honest with you, I don't think you know you should waste any more time in the sciences. I think that you should change your major to African studies or African American studies, whatever she said. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you know, it's just going to be a lot of effort on your part for nothing because I don't think you're ever going to get into any medical school ever. So she was really laying it out like, no, not any school, not any time, not ever. Go change your major to African American studies. And in the moment, I was too shocked by the not being a doctor part that I didn't even realize how racist what she just said to me was. Imagine that. And she said, you should go change your major in African-American studies where you have more of a proclivity for success. And I was like, Wait, a proclivity for success? What? Like, and again, it didn't in that moment. That wasn't what I was focused on. But as I look back on it, right? And, and when she told me all this stuff, she handed me the change of major paperwork, all this stuff. I leave the office and right, I went downhill to the office on my razor scooter. So now it's uphill. And it just so happened, even though it's, this is sunny Southern California, it immediately started snowing and hailing. I walked out of the counselor's office, snow, hail, tornado, everything was down on my life, and I had to walk, right? I was too distraught to ride my razor scooter. I had to put the razor scooter over my shoulder, and I had to walk uphill in the snow back to my dorm. And I got back to my dorm, guys, and again, I'm a big guy. I've always been a big guy. And I go back to my dorm. And I laid on my bed, guys, and I live in a triple occupancy dorm. So it's kind of awkward because I'm under, I'm in a bottom bunk in a dorm room, big man, tiny bunk in the dorm rooms. And I, guys, I grabbed my pillow and I freaking cried my eyes out. Like, and, and I'm not a crier, but it was, it was such a devastating moment in my life. And for you guys, if you guys are pre-med, you guys know what I'm talking about. Because when you're a pre-med, it's literally everything you think about. It's everything you tell people. It's how you define yourself. People ask you, hey, hey what's going on? I'm pre-med. I'm pre-med. I'm pre-med. Like, it, it's it's what is your life and so i felt like she had literally it was almost like she was trying to kill me like it was it was she was destroying this vision i had of myself as this amazing doctor as this pillar as this beacon of hope for other students of color it was like she had snatched all that and told me that i couldn't do it and i was really upset i was really upset i was really upset and as we continue to say in all these videos my parents came to my rescue and i immediately made a phone call as after i got done crying for a little while I called my mom and I was like, hey, mom, here's what's happening. Like, you know, my counselor told me that I'm, I'm an average student and I can't get to medical school. I can't be exceptional. You know, I just can't get the A's. And my mom, again, being the, the wonderful person she is, was like, well, if you're not getting A's, but someone else is getting A's, it's not impossible. Just figure out what they're doing to get the A's. And I got, of course, what do you what do you guys do when your parents tell you that when they try to fix your problems, when they try to solve your problems? I was like, no, nah, mom, you don't understand. You don't understand. I was like all outraged. She had to go. She had the phone up on me. And uh, I was like, you're crazy. I can't get no A's. I'm not an A student. Look at these students. It's not me. And so then I called my dad and my dad got on the phone and I told him about my situation. I couldn't be a doctor. And my dad simply said to me, he was at work. He's like, listen, I'm at work. I don't have time for this. But you know better than to call me talking about I can't. Go get the job done. Hung the phone up on me. So now both my parents have hung up on me. My counselor told me my dream is over. My dream is dead. And so I cried and 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 I cried. And through all that crying, guys, I recognized and I realized, and it was literally the turning point of my life, that this woman, this woman, this is why I preach so hard on you guys. No issues, just dominate. This woman had attempted to put a limitation 
on my life and to box me in and tell me exactly what my life was worth, which was nothing. She tried to tell me that I wasn't excellent, that I wasn't greatness reincarnated, that I wasn't the domination, the straight pure domination at my core that I am. She tried to tell me that. And in that moment, I recognized, and this is like, this is totally off topic, on topic. It's a great lesson for you guys, is that many of us, there are very few people, if you like me, let me know. Who here likes to be told what to do? Who here is like, oh, I love to be bossed around. I love to be told what to do. I love having a boss. If I could, I'd have a boss for forever. Who likes being told what to do? Who likes being told what you can't do? Who likes that? Who likes that? I'm asking this question, right? Like, who, who likes being told what to do and what they can't do? I was telling my students, I've been watching Lost for the second time, thinking maybe it'd be better the second time. It is not better. But there's a character in there who I think embodies at least my spirit, and I think a lot of students, where he's like, don't tell me what I can and cannot do, right? It's like, that's me. I hate being told what to do. And what I recognize, and I want you guys to learn this point. In life, people can only tell you what to do and what you can't do if you allow them to and if you give them that power. And you may be like, wait a minute, what do you mean give them that power? You give people power over your life when you don't take charge of your life and be and live your greatness. In this situation, this woman could tell me I would never be a doctor and could tell me to change my major and tell me how it takes because, guys, I didn't deliver. I wasn't living my best life in the right way. I was living my best life, living my best life, but I wasn't living the life I should be living. And because I was choosing to procrastinate, to slack off, to do all the wrong things, to doubt myself, I put myself in a predicament to have someone else's doubts become my reality. Does everybody understand what, I just, what I'm just saying right there? So many of you guys are like, man, I'm so sick of people telling me I'm not good enough. I'm so sick of people telling me, limiting me here. I'm so sick of not having opportunities. The question I would ask you guys, this is the question I asked myself that day. Like, what, how did I get to this point? Did I, I had to recognize that it was my fault that this woman was in charge and could limit my life because I didn't step up and be my greatness. So I gave over power to her. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? In this world, if you have to strive, particularly if you are a person of color, a student of color, if you are a woman, you can't afford to be average. And that's why I said that line, you have to be exceptional, you can't be average. Too many of you guys are okay being average. And if you are from a historically disenfranchised group, like black people in America, like women, you can't afford to be just average because people are looking for every opportunity to use their bias, to use their discrimination, to use their racism, to use their sexism against you. So what you have to do is at all times, right? You don't have to be perfect, but you got to be living your greatness, doing your best. You got to be growing, improving yourself and being so great 
letting your star shine so bright that not only can they not stop you, they're too blinded by your huge shining star to even be able to hate on you. And that's what I always tell people like, oh, you're cocky and arrogant. I'm like, you're gosh darn right. Because I'm so great. You can say whatever you want about me. You hate me, that I'm cocky, that you don't agree with me. But what you cannot say is that I'm not pure domination, y'all. You can never say that. You can hate me all you want. But you can't say that I'm not the best. I'm sorry. And so because of that, I have no limits. <laughs> People want to criticize me for this or for that or whatever. And we're getting off the point, but we're on the point. Criticism means nothing if you know your greatness. My grades, flawless after that. My test scores, 95th, 98th percentile. You can't mess with it. I graduated top 5% Stanford Med School, y'all. You have to be so great that other people, it doesn't phase you. Does that make sense to everybody what I'm saying right now? We have to understand this. If you are a disenfranchised group, you have to step up and say, no, I'm going to be great. And I'm going to be so great that they cannot deny me what is mine. Does everybody understand? I, I, like, I know this is a sidetrack. But in that moment, I recognized that I was not living my freaking greatness. I was not doing the preparation work. I was procrastinating. I was making the wrong choices. I was living a life that allowed people to put me in a freaking box. And you like, why am I so crazy now? Because I refuse to be put in any box. I'll outwork anybody. I'll be what? Just to be outside of a box. When I work with my students, like anyone who's ever been in a coaching session with me, right? We do coaching every week. I've never ended a coaching session on time. Not once in my entire life. <laughs> Why? Because I'm like, shoot, if we're going to do it, let's do it. Like I said, yeah, we're here for 60 minutes. We're going to do two hours. Here for 90 minutes, three hours. Let's do it. Because I, I cannot not have it be the best thing ever. Right? You got to look at your life that way and say, man, how can I be my best? You don't got to be perfect. But ask yourself a real question of, are you being your best? Okay? So in that moment, I had to recognize that I wasn't being my best. I let her get control of me. And I recognized that I had to change my entire life or my entire game up. And I switched my whole stuff around, y'all. Everything. I started investing and developing in myself. Buying every single book, every single thing I could on studying, downloading all the articles I could, reading the literature, developing myself, understanding what success was, sort of going to every event that was networking and professional development, becoming the expert I wanted to be, setting up meetings with people who were informed to educate me about the process. And then with that information, I started working hard, y'all. And I became that excellent student, that exceptional student. And I got into Stanford Med School. And the coolest thing was, is I got to go back to this woman. And as part of that, and actually, I won't show it on my wall, but on my wall over here, I have, I'm coming for everything they said I couldn't have. And I keep this one up. I rotate my other ones. I got posted on my wall, but I got one poster that's always up. I'm coming for everything they said I couldn't have. And conceived <laughs> to the infamous off topic, on topic. I'm always, that's, that's what I always say to people. Off topic, on topic, right? That's what we say to coaching. Um, but that woman's comments, her discrimination that day fueled my fire, guys. And when I got accepted to Stanford Med School, I photocopied my acceptance letter. And I went back to UCI's counseling department. And I went back to her office. And I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, 
Andre Pine said, I was here a while back. You were my counselor. And she was like, oh my gosh, how are you? How have you been? I said, oh, actually, no, things are great. I just got accepted to stay for medical school. She's like, oh my gosh, I always knew you could do it. You were so bright when you were here. And she tried to like introduce me to someone else. Like, oh my gosh, this is Andre Pine said. He was one of my brightest students and whatever. And I was like, actually, <laughs> you did not believe in me. You were the opposite. You told me I would never get into medical school ever. Any medical school ever are the words you used. You told me I was average and not exceptional. I wouldn't get there. You told me to change my major. And she had this like, oh gosh, like look at her face. I said, listen, no, 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 no. I'm not upset. I'm here to give you a copy of my acceptance letter because my acceptance is a direct result of you. Because what you said to me that day, it was wrong, but it was right. Because I was an average student. I was not on track to get to medical school, but your words inspired me to get on track. Your words made me do that extra studying at two in the morning. Your words made it so that I always went the extra mile because I didn't want to see the smug look on your face to say, oh, I was right about that failure. And forever in this journey, guys, and this is, I guess, the message for tonight before we get to you guys' stories, is that oftentimes people of color are told to look the other way when people are racist. Oh, don't even, don't let that get you down. Don't even worry about that. Don't ignore them. Act like they didn't say it, right? Like ignore racism, ignore discrimination, ignore the slights of your life. And I say the exact gosh darn opposite. Remember it. Pull out your phone. Everybody got a camera on their phone nowadays, okay? Pull out your phone, turn on the camera and say, excuse me, racist. Can you repeat your racist statement to me again? Excuse me, hater. Can you say that hate to me one more time to the camera so I can have it? And I want you to watch that film every single day. Because every single day, like I said, you should keep me up at night. Oh, I'm not exceptional. I'm not exceptional. Oh, I'm going to do some more hours of work. And I would get to work and I would get it done. And so for students of color, yes, people are going to discriminate you. People are going to hate on you. People are going to have experience like this. People are lighting up the box right now. We're going to talk about it in two seconds. Recognize that people are going to hate on you. People are going to tell you what you can't do. Don't shudder at that. Don't try to forget it. Remember it. Let it soak in. Feel the sting of that. Because that is the motivation you've been looking for. That's the power. That's the power. Does that make sense to everybody? You, there's power in that. So use all this opposition. When you see somebody in the street, right? You guys have seen these videos. Of people at the protest screaming and women's fast. I saw the video and I, I'm ashamed. I think this was in, in California. This black woman is holding a sign and she's protesting peacefully with her mask on. Keep in mind, people were trying to say protesters are all out here with no mask. And this large white gentleman gets in her face and screams profanities directly in her face. Bam, 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 bam. Screaming profanities in her face. And she's just standing there holding the sign. Don't shudder from that. Don't forget that. Hold it. Hold it, y'all. And use that animosity, use that anger, use that sour pill to power your journey. Does this make sense to everybody? The other point I want to make, and I see all your guys' stories here. When you start sharing these people talking about how people told them they couldn't take it, they couldn't, they didn't have what it takes. People telling them they couldn't be successful, right? I had the same experience. It, it made me mad. It propelled me. People are, are talking about this, right? 
right? When people are saying this is their experience, right? This is people's experience. I'm pulling them up in the box right here. Does everybody see this? Does everybody understand? Right? I'm pulling a couple of them because I can't get them all. But do you guys understand that this is not just me? This is many students being told these things, being right, being torn down. And what's important about this is we talk about the lack of diversity in higher education. We talk about the lack of diversity in medicine. Why is this so problematic, these incidents? Because if it wasn't for the phone calls I made to my parents, if it wasn't for the fact that I am a very, very angry person who doesn't like being told what to do or what not to do, maybe I would have been the statistic that many students of color are who are told, hey, you aren't capable, you aren't competent, get out of this field, and they change majors. They change pursuits. They lower their expectations, their standards of themselves, and they can't. They say, oh, I can't be a doctor. And I'm telling you, I have a lot of people, students come shout at me, a lot of students who email me, and they're like, yeah, you know, I've always thought I could only be a nurse. And I'm not saying nurses is a great career, but people say, oh, I can only be a nurse. I can only be a tech. I can only be, right? Because they think that a doctor is outside their reach. We've got to counteract these moments. And one of the things that like, we continue to talk about in this is, right, this, this need to change these things. And yes, we, like I always push. I always push changing yourself. Like I changed myself. I couldn't change her. Changing myself. But I hope that by me going back and her, me giving her that letter, that it would change how she would handle a future student. But what I think universities have to do a better job it's almost like, and this is going to be a weird comment, guys. This is a weird comment. Please don't send me hate mail saying that that I was promoting pedophilia and I was comparing uh, pre-med advisors to pedophiles. But if you are a pedophile, right, you're a sex offender, you have to register as a sex offender, right, and you have to be screened. And for certain positions, they always check criminal background checks for, hey, can you work around kids? Are you safe around kids? Are you competent? Are, can we trust you? I think they should put in training, cultural competence training for people who are gonna be in authority positions for students. So all these counselors, they should know more than just what's offered in the registrar and, the, and what class they need to take. They should be trained in how to manage conflict, how to deal with their biases, how to deal with people from different cultural backgrounds and we should screen them and test them and evaluate them on those bases, not just on how they evaluate students' curriculum. How are you evaluating the student? How are you treating the students as people, as individuals? And based on their cultural need, how are you meeting them where they are? Does that make sense to everybody? I know that was, I was trying to say, like, essentially, we need to have some things in place where we can account for that. Because it's devastating for people early in their career when they're just trying to find themselves and we all experience this. Whatever color you are, the transition to college, shoot, it's a whole new world. And so we have to recognize that we need to make sure we put people in place who are competent, who are capable, who are willing, who want 
to understand specifically what the student is going for, going through, and meet them there and support them. Because the way I've always looked at this, and when I go out and I do educator trainings, right, and I go teach counseling departments about the pre-med process, or I go teach educators and learning centers about effective learning, right? One of the things I'm always trying to address is where a student is right now is not where they are for forever. And what I want all of, like when I'm talking to educators, I want all of you guys to understand is when you're dealing with a student, you are never allowed to tell them what they can't become. Because these people are looking to you as someone who's knowledgeable, someone's experienced to guide them. It's not for you to label them. Your job is to facilitate them getting to where they need to be, not labeling them as not being where they need to be. We have to flip that process. Does everybody understand what I'm saying right there? We've got to turn that around. It's not about labels. It's not about saying, hey, you're dumb, you're incapable, you're disorganized, you don't have these curriculars, you don't have the research, you don't have... No, that's not your job to label. What your job to do is to get me there. That's where your focus needs to be. And it's one of the reasons, like, I'm, I'm, I'm always super down on forums and different kind of things because people think, oh, if I send this person a DM or I send this person a message or I post my thing on the forum, I'm going to get real meaningful feedback. And I'll give you an example. There's this guy, I forget what his name is. He was like an English major and I think he went to medical school. I don't know. I, I can't even remember. But this guy posted on Twitter, hey, all students of color, send me your personal statements for medical school. I'll read them for free. And people were all excited. I saw it shared all over my timeline. Oh my gosh, this guy's doing such an amazing thing. going to help all these students. What's the problem with that? If you've got on Twitter, let's assume he's an expert. I don't know if he's or he's not. Assume he's an expert. And he says, listen, every student of color who's applying to medical school, send me your personal statement. I'll read it for free and review it for free. What's the problem with that? I agree, one tall girl, right? Some doctors are even more blunt, more racist than pre-med advisors. We're going to talk about this. And doctors make awful pre-med advisors. Why? Because they're too far removed from the process and they're not invested in it. That's the reality. What's the problem with a guy on Twitter who we're going to say is an expert, he may not be, who says, all students of color, send me your personal statements, I'll read them for free. Let's assume he's an expert. For example, if I said, hey guys, everyone on here right now, all of you guys that are on here right now, I want all of you to send me your personal statements, I'll read them for free. What's the problem? There we go. Shannon got it. Boom. If I'm one person and I tell a hundred people to send me their personal statement, I'm going to review them. How can I read at a good depth level and edit and revise and give real meaningful feedback on all those hundred personal statements? 
So what ends up happening? You get a dilute evaluation. You get meaningless, empty, superficial feedback. Right? I'm a, I'm a paid advisor. People pay me to read their personal statements and applications. I can have as many students as I want. I do 10 individual applications a year. 10! Why? Because each one of these students gets my full attention. A to Z. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? My boot camp, right? How many students? My application boot camp, 100 students. My individual coaching, 10 students. Because I need to make sure that everyone is at this level. It's my job to get you from here to here. Not my job to say your personal statement sucks. Go fix it. Write more personally. You know what? Uh, tell, tell me more about this part of your life. No, I got to have real meaningful editing. Does everybody understand? I know that was off topic, but I just, like, was thinking about this, like, we have to make sure that we're paying attention, guys. Pay attention. Pay attention. Yes? We got to pay attention. So, oh, the reason we got on the topic is about doctors. No, doctors would be horrible people to evaluate you and to be mentors. Like, they're good for mentorship, but they're not good for advisors. They're far away from the process. They are not actually experts in the process, even though they are doctors, because they don't study the process. You're only experts in what you study. And additionally, they don't have time to develop and to devote to actually giving you quality advice and to knowing and being current in all the advice. Right? So Brian asked me if I'm still working in a hospital. Yeah, I work. I'm at UCSD, but I only work part-time as an anesthesiologist. And why do I work part-time? Because I made the conscious choice that it takes real commitment to work with students. And so if I'm working 70 hours a week in the hospital, how can I make sure that I'm available to my students? How can I make sure that I'm up on the latest? How can I make sure that I'm bringing you guys high value stuff? Just saying, right? The thought process. So anyway, are these talks helping people? Are you guys getting feeling a sense of commune, right? And that we are all people. And, and I think it's so important. The issue, I keep saying this, people keep trying to politicize this. It's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's, uh, it's, it's this person versus that person. It's right. It's what's your belief system. It's about, are you a human? And the question becomes, do you want to care for people? Do you want to love people? And I, and I keep saying, like, our society is so fractured and so jacked up and so bad. People are so miserable. Why are people more miserable now? We got everything at our disposal. Why are people so miserable? Because we have dating apps. Because we have social media likes. We need more real love in the world and real kindness and real gestures. Have you guys seen the people out here pretending to do stuff? Did you guys see the girl with the drill who was pretending to board up the shop? but really just pulled up her car, take the picture with the drill, got back in her car and drove off? Did you see these interim influencers who are popping in front of protests, pretending like they're part of the protest and then dipping right out? We need to stop the fake and we need to start leading with love, leading with our heart and caring for people. Just love people, man. People are different. We're all different. People were talking earlier about how difficult it is to be a Sikh. Guys, it is. It's difficult to be a woman. It's difficult to be of any background. It's difficult to be white. It's difficult to be everything. 
<laughs> like, like, I think that's, like, that's the other argument. People say, oh, you're saying black lives matter. Like, it's so hard on black people. It's hard on white people. It is. It's hard on everybody. Life is hard. So what we need to do is understand that people are different than us. People look different, but at the core of us, we just want love, y'all. So let's love more. Let's treat people kindly. Right? With respect, with dignity. We all deserve dignity. I think that's a real good word, dignity. We want to treat patients with dignity. All my patients, right? And I got patients, they're in a gown. Their nuts are hanging out. Right? It's uncomfortable. You're a grown man. got another grown man in here, and your nuts are hanging out. It's uncomfortable for you. I treat you with dignity. I'm going to cover your nuts up. I'm not going to look at your nuts. I'm not going to point out, hey, your nuts are hanging out. Cover your nuts up. Give me some dignity. Right? Dignity. Treat people with dignity. With respect. The way you want to be treated. I'm glad that I fired you up, humble servant. Right? It is hard to be a black woman in the medical field. And we're going to have another conversation, and I know it's going to be very unpopular. I already know it. I already know it. But we're going to have a talk, because if you guys saw the Democrats, right, with their African garb on, pandering, pandering to the black population, right, with their African garb on, we're going to have a discussion, and it's going to be uncomfortable. And I'm having someone on who is of African descent. And I always make the comment, people call me African-American. I'm like, I'm not African-American, not at all. Like, what? You're African-American? I'm like, no, I'm not African-American at all. I'm black American. I'm not African-American. Ain't no African about this. And I say that because it's important to delineate that when people see me, they see my black skin and they judge me on that. So I am black. But I am not African, and I won't let people use that term with me to make me less American than they are. And we're going to have a discussion about African versus Black American, because that's also an important distinction. And we're going to talk about that because, because there are different factors involved. And the person I'm having on, we're going to have, I think it's going to be two weeks or three weeks from now. Because uh, now, we, right? So starting next week, I'm going to start having a major figure who's a Black, right? Who's a Black person or a person who is in a diversity office coming on to talk about diversity in medicine and higher education with us. And this person, we had a great discussion about this person's a dean of diversity at a medical school. And the discussion we had was centered on the difference in acceptance rates and attendance rates and the diversity in medicine, and it's African versus American Black. And it's different. And it's two different pathways. And then the research of understanding the sequelae and what, how that transmits through higher education, whether you are African or whether you are black American is different. So we're going to talk about that too. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So discrimination in uh, med school application. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely something that we have to talk about because we're going to get there. Oh, we're going to get there. Cause right. So we just hit college. So what's after college medical school. So I'm going to tell you guys about medical school uh, discrimination. And I got some wonderful stories. I forgot which one we'll focus on this time. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Gina just hit the nail on the head. So Andreas asked this question. Hey, Dr. Pine said, why might someone might why might someone prefer to be black over African American? Uh, is there a major factor that delineates the two? I'll get into this briefly. I feel like 
African American is political political politicized to put the African up front to make people who are black feel less American. Because we don't call white Americans Euro European Americans or Euro Americans, we call them Caucasian. But where's 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 Caucasian? And so the point is, is that white, right? We refer to them as white as in they are American. They are America. And what we don't recognize is that everyone is an immigrant to America at some point in their history. And the difference between being African-American and being black is that the African trajectory. So people who, right, a lot of Nigerians, right? A lot of Uganda, that pathway and that experience and that cultural background is entirely different than the American black entirely different and so for me i think it's important because and well, i guess we'll kind of tease this is that american blacks don't get into medical school look around look at all and i'm just this is just a, this is the facts guys it's the reality look at snma's leadership board look at the math leadership board they're african blacks they're not american blacks it's a difference and American blacks don't get into medical school. And so what's really happening is, is and this is, again, this is the systemic racism, is that people are bypassing the systemic racism by coming over at different points in their life, right? Because their parents and actually, you, you want to talk about right now? No, no, no. We'll save it. Foreshadow. <laughs> we'll, you know, we'll talk about this tomorrow. We'll talk about this tomorrow. So tomorrow we're back at five o'clock uh, and we'll talk about in addition to medical racism, because we're already at 50 minutes, I'll talk about uh, medical racism and we'll talk about African versus American black. And it's a difference. <sighs> exactly, Ariana. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> but I hope you guys are enjoying these uh, videos. If you guys are liking these, make sure you guys take a second, like the video, uh, take a second and comment. And I hope to see you guys all again tomorrow at five o'clock. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I hope that we are being... I'm trying to be as sensitive as I can, but as honest and real as I can, guys. Racism, discrimination, it's real. It's honest. It's truthful. It's there. We can overcome. We can get there. But it starts with understanding it's going to be hard to change outside things. It's going to be hard to change entire systems. We first got to change ourselves. And then through that, use that to educate and form and to modify and to change the world. And the reason I became a doctor, guys... And for people who have seen my personal statement, like if you're in my application course, you see my personal statement, I wrote it in there. It's like the reason to become a doctor <laughs> is not to treat patients. There's three reasons. Only one of them is to treat patients. The other two, it's about empowering. It's about being a beacon and showing students of color, showing students who struggled academically, showing students who need help. You can do it, baby. Look at me. You may be average, but you can do it. So come on and get some of this. Like I, like that was like my my big thing trying to go to medical school, right? I just want to empower. Like I love working with students, right? So I want young people to understand. Look, when you see me, yeah, you can be this, but let me show you too, right? And I bring people along. That's what the website's all about, right? Student transformation. My website, studenttransformation.com. Why? Because wherever you're at, I'm gonna help you get to that next level. That's what I'm trying to do. And so with these videos, what I want you guys to understand is whatever you're going through. I want you to look at me and say, you know what? He went through the same discrimination. He had the same doubts about himself. He felt down on himself. He let people hurt his feelings. And then he said to himself, wait a minute. If I let their hurtful words hurt me, 
and stop me and hold me down, all I'm doing is making them right. And then I'm going to have to see them smile when I fail and prove them right. And he used that as fuel to do the right things, to be successful. And he said that his greatness could not be denied. And look at him. He said, that's what I want you guys to understand and see is that this is real, guys. People are trying to hold you down. And what you have to do is that you have to understand that. And that's real and it's there and there are walls, the glass ceiling. But greatness knows no glass ceiling, y'all. Greatness knows no glass ceiling. We dominate right through the glass ceiling. We pop that thing right the freak off. What glass ceiling? I didn't see it. Walked right through it. Be that greatness, y'all. That's the point of these videos is that every, every level, there are obstacles, there are issues, there are problems, but we will overcome. Yes, yes, y'all. We can get with it. We understand. And I want you guys, it's incumbent upon all of you. I'm one person. It's incumbent upon all of you to stand up. And when you see somebody struggling, even if they don't look like you, if they're of another ethnicity, if they're of another cultural background, if they're in a different class, it's whatever's happening, it's up to you to stand up, lead with your heart and say, no, I'm with you. I see you going through something. Come on. I'll lift you up. Let's go up. That's your guys' responsibility. That's what I charge you guys with. Right? I always try to leave you guys with some kind of action. That's your action. When you see something wrong, fix it. When you see someone hurt, heal them. That's what I charge you guys with. When you see somebody being hated on, you love them. Love them. People trip. I'm a big hugger. Like, why are you always hugging people? I hug waitresses. Shannon freaks out. I be hugging waitresses. I hug people. Why? Because I feel like people need more hugs in their life. People need love, man. I want people to know, yeah, you're loved. If you've never gotten a hug before, here's a hug right now. I love you. Somebody, like, there's, 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 there's love in my heart for you. I want you guys to pass on on other people. All right, I'm done. I appreciate you guys. I'll see you guys tomorrow at 5 p.m. Uh, getting back at it. If you guys don't know, if you guys just joined us, this is your first time on this channel, take a second, subscribe, turn on live notifications. Okay, we are live action right now. You want to be here. Turn on those notifications. I'm Dr. Pineset. The website is studenttransformation.com. If you want more information, you want to get to your greatness, check that out. I'll see you guys tomorrow, five o'clock. Let's get at it, y'all. Later. Today is the day, guys. No more excuses. No more complaining. You're going to take your future in your own hands. You're going to dominate. You're going to be successful. Get to my website, studenttransformation.com. I challenge you. What are you going to do today to make your life better?